I find it really impressive when people in life not manage to just achieve one thing, one big thing. A lot of entrepreneurs do that, but end up going on to excel in so many different areas. Uh, I understand that uh, you've been an executive at uh, at a biotech company. Uh, you were a scientist and went on to discover drugs uh, at that biotech company. You went to Harvard. Every Asian parent wants their kids to go to Harvard. And I know you are an eight-figure entrepreneur as well. But I understand that all this wasn't served to you on a silver plate. You had a very, very interesting beginning to your career and your life. You were a high school dropout and you were a teenage gangster. Tell me a little bit more about that start to your life. What happened there? Yeah, so um, my parents are from Sri Lanka. Uh, we're war refugees. Uh, actually, my mom smuggled me on a plane uh, into London. Very brave woman. Um, she had to do what she had to do to secure her children's future. And I grew up in a very rough council estate, which some in the US call social housing uh, in Northwest London. It was then the drugs manufacturing probably hot pot. Um, and I was around the best gangsters and um, the wrong crowd. And now, thank God I didn't get into any legal trouble, but you know, as the only Asian kid, I had to fight back at certain times and I did. And you know, you don't know what you don't know. And you're, if you're only surrounded by bad people you just don't know a career direction and no one went to university and no one had careers kind of dropped out of high school um i had i think one c gcse english speaking um i was a not a good student but i was a good learner if i like something like history i went hell bent and i loved history and everything else i didn't like so after leaving school i worked in tesco clocks restaurants bars and so forth i had weightlifting as a discipline i loved weightlifting but I got into a lot of fights and I got into a serious fight that resulted in a head injury that put me in a coma. I didn't see God. I didn't see angels. I didn't see anyone. I just woke up and after four hours and said, hey, what am I doing with my life? I have to get do something. And I concentrated on education. And that's how I got into education. But the first like 16 to 21 was teaching me about sales, life and being ordinary in terms of um, the system and working and, you know, communicating and even just um, sales uh, to people. So that was very important as a foundation, I believe, looking back. I want to talk about two things branching off from here. Number one, to grow on your story a little bit, you said afterwards you went back into education. Tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, afterwards, I will talk to you a little bit about sales, but let, let's focus on that first. You went back into education. Yeah, so I kind of knew that uh, one way out of the system or where I was was education. Uh, that never left me, but I didn't know where. So I did try a few things. I tried accounting numbers I'm good at, but not the highest level, and it bored me. I tried sports science because of my kind of weightlifting background, which was quite good. But again, it was kind of a here and there personal training, which I didn't want. I wanted a structure. I wanted a degree. So I done a foundation course in sciences. Um, uh, by the way, I always tell kids now, life is three things, a sales game, a numbers game, and a risk game. And the numbers game is that I've, I had three phone calls. One of them uh, took me to Westminster uh, University, which is a polytech technically, and it gave me a foundation access course. A lovely woman gave me a chance, grabbed hold of it, down the foundation, passed on, and went in to do something called human medical sciences, which is like biomed. Um, so mm. that was my first degree. That's very interesting you say that, three things in life. I I remember somebody mentioning something very similar to me. It was the importance of sales in, in life and in business as well. I, I never really listened to that when I was younger. And 
right now, as a bit of background, I work in business development at a startup. It's quite sales nice. heavy. And you're right. You're absolutely right. The skills that you learn in sales, if you can translate that into your own life, is life-changing, I think. Tell me a little bit more about how exactly these skills you learn in sales translate into your education, your daily life, and into business at that early stage in your life. Yeah, so when I was 16, I dropped out and I was working at these sales jobs. Um, it's not something, there's kind of, as you mature, you realize hmm. what am I thinking about and you understand critical thinking, but you understand thinking about thinking and then hmm. you understand how others are thinking and how they're thinking about thinking. Yeah. So it, it's about maturity, right? But what happens is um, from the fresh start, you realize that I was never rich enough to travel the world with my parents. But London as a culture hotspot was amazing. I was exposed to different nationality, tourists, uh, Middle Eastern, Australian, Irish, English, high class, middle class, low class, you can name it, right? Americans coming in. So it was, I was learning culture, listen, dissect, uh, you know, different accents. And then I was learning how to negotiate and talk to these different individuals. So pivoting with the person in front of you is very important knowing what they want and knowing what they want to sell is very important mm -hmm. and providing a service. You're not here just to do a business. You'll get money out of people. I always say, you know, sales or business is a human interaction, not a human transaction. Right. So that was very important as well. And then finally, it's about the art of uh, negotiation. So I was learning all those things and if you can sell something, you know, it's all a sales game. You're selling a service or yourself, eventually a job or corporate entrepreneur, to a bank or so forth. So if you get those foundations right, it can serve you in so many different ways. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Not my curiosity. I, I know that you, you, you've had a, a very extensive career in business as well. These skills that you talk about earlier, how much of that was from reading theory and books versus learning from hands-on experience and trial and error? Look, um, I'll tell you a story, right? Um, right. I, when, I was, uh, when I was going back to the education, I went hardcore heavy. I read sales. I went negotiation. I learned influence, power. I went from Shakespeare because I was trying to catch up in my head. Right. I went from Plato's Republic to Roald Dahl's learning this and that. Then I realized that uh, there's so much I can read. I forget, but practicality is very important. Mm. Um, and actually getting out there and doing it. And the best things I've done is through a numbers game, just failing right. and going again. And I tell you a story. Long forward into pharma when I was vice president there was a problem in China I had all my students and my team were reading so much because it's an Asian mentality I'm, I'm, I'm not being biased here they think reading and theory is important and you catch up particularly in China or Oxford and Harvard or the West are doing stuff we need to read then catch up I said to these guys hey reading is good you need theory at the high level in science but we need to do and do and do because Alien experimentation is important science mm. and I was not getting the message across and I'm going to be very open and honest I don't know if you can edit this not so I took a whole team meeting in China sat down and I said something to them because I think I read it somewhere or listened to somewhere I said listen guys I've warned you before reading is one thing but doing one thing they're like ah oh. so I said listen reading about sex and having sex are two different things <laughs> right <laughs> right I'm like you got to execute we have to execute and yes. that mes message went across and particularly in Asian kind of uh, peaceful kind of restrictive culture they're like oh so oh. that kind of 
poke the system and they're like, okay, now we get what you, what you mean. So look, guys, you have to read, understand knowledge, but doing and just failing and just grinding and taking the rejection and learning from them is much more important. Mm, I think I think that's absolutely correct. I think especially within a, a business environment, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm currently at a startup. Everything is implementation. You learn through implementation and you, you yeah. do through implementation as well. So I, yes, I agree with what you're saying. I understand that the next stop for you was top universities globally like Harvard. Did you always plan? Was it the plan from the start to go to Harvard or how did that happen? So this is crazy. You know, you know, I give lectures around the world and I say, you've got to set bold, historic goals. They're like, what is this guy talking about? So when I was weightlifting, I said, I'm going to have six gold medals because Steve Redgrave, the rower, has five. Never, ever yeah. was I good enough for the Olympics. But the bar was high delusionally in my head. Mm. So I realized I need to train discipline. For an Asian kid, skinny kid, I want some regional shows. So, you know, I talk about if, if your DNA is like a sweaty towel, Mm-hmm. And I talk about the ATGs that make your DNA, you're squeezing all your genetic potential out. That's how I see it. So how can I maximize genetic potential? By setting huge goals, right? right. So never got there to Olympics, but that was the goal. When I started science, I said, I want three Nobel Prizes. They're like, what is this guy talking about? I said, Mary Curie has two. No, the, the talent might be there, but the luck and the projects for Nobel Prize wasn't there. But in 2017, I was the first young scientist to win the British, European, and American Scientist Award all in uh, one year. So if you set your goals big enough, you will actually, you'll never surpass your biggest goal, but you land somewhere in between. So when I was at Westminster, then I went to Imperial, then I went to Oxford, Harvard, I always had Harvard there because it was the biggest goal. Mm. Now, to get there, I knew that after PhD Oxford, the next logical step was a Fulbright scholarship, which I got and went there, and it was a yep, great yep. thing. But that was always the target. But the journey there is what changes. Looking mm-hmm. back now, the brands are good, but the journey to Oxford and Harvard and how I done it, what is what transformed my life and my kind of mindset. Then I take that mindset and apply it to somewhere else as well. And that's right. very important because sometimes when you get really educated, you lose a certain kind of entrepreneurial risk factor. Um, and then that, that's a disparity as well. So you really need that balance. Thank you for sharing that. I'm very curious to know, you, you, you set super high goals for yourself. As some people may think it's delusional. Some people may think that, hey, actually, this guy's onto something. What are your goals for your current business that you run right now? What, what are your thoughts in the next few years? Where do you want to be? What's the next uh, goal- big, big goal? Five years or lifetime goals? Let's start with five years first. Five years, we want to do uh, 500 million, 100 million each year. Let's go out. Let's go big. Maybe not surpass it, but if the goal is big enough, with multiple verticals executed, M&A verticals, set up multiple business verticals, some will fail, some will not. As soon as you have verticals going up this way, set it up, 100 million a year, let's see what happens. Those are the five-year goals. And let's see. Let's see what we can leverage and what risks we take and how we can go on. Talk to me about your business. Tell me about, for, you know, for the viewers and listeners tuning in, what business are you in? What does it do? And tell me about your team. Okay, so I got stuck in China. We can get into the story. I discovered e-commerce. Again, took a risk. Three days, I started selling toys. <laughs> Come, came back to the UK. Couldn't get the same kind of corporate kind of hierarchy job 
quit and went full time into e-commerce. So the business at the moment, at the moment, we do three things in the business. We sell and launch our own brands. We now merge and acquire e-commerce online brands, and we also consult for high-end clients for making their brands online grow. Okay. But then that's one vertical, and we're using the cash flow to go into other business verticals. So we're looking at luxury, concierge uh, services, aviation, where I'm looking to go back into biotech and so forth. The, the real charm and pull for me is to have an empire that has different verticals that can keep me engaged. Um, so that's what we do, because my real talent is uh, having different interests and talent management and bringing people to the top. And I really want to get pulled and tested in different angles. So that's the kind of goal. But at the moment, we concentrate on e-commerce. And the team at the moment is at 33, uh, going to 35, uh, all based abroad, not none in the UK. Got it. Congratulations, by the way. It's fantastic to hear that. Thank I you. love I love stories like this. Do you sleep much? Yes, I sleep well. Um, mm. So in my 20s at uh, Oxford, I worked hard. In fact, there was a time where at three o'clock in the morning, I had classical music. I don't know why there was classical music. Sometimes it was hip hop, by the way, in the lab. And I looked out the window. I'm like, I, I look, Charlie, I'm like, no one in the world is doing what I was doing. I was working 12 to 14 hours. I'll sleep for four hours and I go and network hard because I realized working is one thing. Networking, particularly in a place like Oxford, is very important. Yeah. And I'll go again. But as I got older, in my late 20s and 30s, I love exercise. If I exercise, I keep a, uh, keep a kind of a restricted kind of schedule and so forth. Uh, I get seven hours, eight hours sleep. I don't mm -hmm. think any functioning CEO, anyone that's actually very good, has a balanced life in terms of workout, eats well and sleeps well. I don't think you can survive on four to five. I think that's a fallacy. I might be wrong. There might be genetic mutations out there that can actually facilitate it. But mm. I like to sleep well because at this level now, if I sleep well, I make good judgment calls. That's the whole point. Right. I'm not, mm. I, I don't have repetitive work. I don't have, uh, it's not a, a um, it's not quantity, it's quality now of choices. The quality of choices is, is particularly better when I sleep well. I've always been very fascinated with people who are, highly productive as you obviously are as a person, but also very disciplined. You speak about this with conviction, I can tell. How do you maintain consistency while running this business? You're obviously scaling, you have big goals, you sleep seven hours a night. How do you, how do you maintain this discipline and consistency? What do you implement in your life that maybe other people aren't? So I talk about being lazy and intelligent, lazily intelligent. I mean, what, is, what, what is this guy talking about? So the trick is, I think when we go through corporate or education and we watch Hollywood movies and so forth, we think, oh, there's no enough time. You know, people who work hard four hours, five hours. Yes, we all been there sometimes. You know, it's peaks and troughs, right? Mm -hmm. But again, I wake up, I exercise, I do my affirmations. I do all the IQ heavy stuff early in the morning, right? Then I go into business lunches, then do more emails, then business dinners and go to bed a uh, reasonable time. If I'm having hosting times, I might go to bed later if I'm hosting drinks and stuff, but I still get my sleep in. It's very important as a CEO, as an entrepreneur, as a young person, to know where your priorities are, execute what you can in terms of what you need, 
right? In terms of the high level decisions are prioritized and the rest just cut out. Right. Uh, because my mind is now saying, this is the goal, this is the shortest way to get there, and mm -hmm. these are the steps. Really. And maybe that's what my secret is. I know what the shortest way to get there, nasally intelligent, then I'll cut the shit out from the rest. And, yeah. and it becomes quality instead of quantity. Uh, if you can do that, I think uh, you, you go far. And the easiest way to do that is to delegate to the right people and uh, get the right talent around you. Mm, and that comes with hiring the right team, right? As you're expanding team to business. And going through uh, failures, you might hire the wrong person, you know, get ready to cut. You might make the wrong decision, go again with another decision. Uh, but it's about just knowing what the goal is and doing the quickest steps towards it. And, you know, I always say life is short. You know, don't, there's a slide I love to show in books. You know that Rome was not built in a day thing? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Chuck that chucked out the window. Do not tell your kids. <laughs> Rome was built in 1223 years or something, multiple seasons. You know, you don't want to look at that in history. That's a bad example. Okay. You want to look at Alexander the Great, who conquered the known world by what? 32? Cleopatra done like all of Egypt around surrounding areas by 36. That's great risk taking mm. with their life and conquering, right? Mm -hmm. Not Rome was not been a day. Patience is important, but you know, I say patience is only a virtue when you look backwards. Yeah. When you're making decisions, patience is nothing. You have to execute risk and reward very quickly. Um, so that's very important as well. To young entrepreneurs or people who are listening to this right now, how how do you, I appreciate this is not an easy question, by the way. How do you pick the right risks to take? And how do you qualify a risk before taking it? Because you talk about risk and reward in this case. Yeah, so uh, this equation I, I like to put, I think I mentioned on LinkedIn once, right. the risk equals reward. I like to put two more things. Risk plus speed equals okay. reward plus confidence, right? Mm. Okay. So you take risk at, if there's an idea, a risk, take it, right? If, it's, if you can execute it, right? Take it at a speed, if it's not giving you a small reward or a small return, or if you think it's not fitting into the bigger picture, cut it out. But once you do it a couple of mm. times and you fail and you do it again and again, it gives you the confidence to go again and face the fears. It's the same thing I tell guys, ask the girl out, <laughs> go and up, up to and talk, uh, talk to them. Or the woman, you know, just if you're a young female, you like someone, just look at the guy and see what his reaction is. If, yeah. you know, 15, 20 seconds later, that person doesn't care about you if they don't like you or not. And you go again, you go again. Same with businesses. I've failed many times. I faced bankruptcy, debt, you know, I faced all these things. It's fine. I'm still here. I'm still talking to you. Uh, once you do it again and you're learning and you know how to negotiate, leverage certain things, you'll be fine. And how, you do, how do you calculate, that, calculate the risk? You calculate it with numbers. That's very important. With margins that are good enough. But you really don't know until you actually execute and have the experience to see what the return is or what mm. the reward is. Uh, and then you cut it. But don't, don't go too much. You know, I'll say if an idea is not working, you, as a human being, everyone knows a gut instinct when something's working or not. The biggest problem we now see when we acquire or merge companies, founders who just elongated the ideas for so long to say, oh yeah, it will work, it will work. It doesn't work, right? So you've got to be able to cut it 
Uh, and that's where I think you have to mitigate the risks quicker. It's interesting you mentioned you've faced, you're very open about the challenges that you face. I like that. I, I respect that. You said you face bankruptcy, you face these difficulties in business. Obviously, in many stories, people glorify the successes and victories, and these are often highlighted. I'm curious to know about your, what was your mentality and mindset facing these near, in the face of failure, potential failure at least? How did you gather yourself to keep pushing through? What, 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 what happened in your mind to, to make you overcome these? Yeah, if, if, if you're all said and done and history views me as the most rejected man on, per, on planet Earth in history, I would be so happy. Because if people can go away and say, hey, this guy got rejected and trashed upon, laughed upon as the most, I'd be so happy because that's where the actual glory is, right? Mm -hmm. Is that old saying, the man in the ring who's getting punched up is actually the person that's going to win, right? Because you're in the fight itself, right? So the mindset is, hey, you know what? I'm in this fight. I've been hit again, I've done this again, I've, I've faced the odds, I went from dropout to Oxford to Harvard. You know, if you do certain things um, well and you achieve in one sphere, you can achieve in other spheres because I don't know who it was and I can't recall, but there's a Japanese kind of warrior who kind of had hand-to-hand -hand combat. I think 62 people he killed. Musashi. Exactly, exactly, him. <laughs> Sorry, I can't remember. And he said, I think, he, I'm paraphrasing, but if you have a kind of broad understanding of one thing you can be successful in other things right so once you have that success calculator dialed in and you failed enough and you kind of won in certain scenarios you know you can win in other scenarios so it's just about getting something done uh, and doing it is harder because a lot of people procrastinate that's very interesting you tell me about an example of a time that you were you were laughed at or you were rejected but what's the worst time worst thing that has happened to you in this case in business and tell me about overcoming that as well in business or in life either i was talking about in business in particular but up to you e either would be interesting well yeah i mean a lot of people uh, laughed at me when i said i wasn't going to drop out the hard option i give it time one you know, most people are actually helpful and one of my professors at the small university said, how are you going to get to Oxford? I said, well, I'll take the train from Paddington, <laughs> right? <laughs> Good simple, answer. Right? Good answer. Uh, and, <laughs> but when, when I actually achieved all these things, um, I went to a couple of very high esteemed professors and said, I've got three drug ideas. I need 300 million. I'm like, no one asked for this at 27 after a PhD. Got laughed at. I made 272 phone calls. One guy in China picked up and he goes, come over, here's some, here's some of the money, here's the team, right? Mm. So that was the first kind of, you know, it, I think it's the saying, first they'll ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win, right? Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, getting laughed at is okay. Um, and yeah. in business, yeah, I, I pitch all the time to people and sometimes they ignore you, sometimes they laugh. It's fine. Um, mm. You just have to have conviction in what you do and make sure the laugh is uh, fine and you know but you got to learn from the rejections and why people are rejecting you i have a saying every rejection is the misconceived perception mm. you have to fix it and go again so there's something wrong in the perception or the way you're pitching or something that or you're pitching to the wrong person so you, you have to understand that dynamic and go again so if you get lost or ignore that there must be a reason that's coming back to you and you have to fix that do you ever hold a grudge against these people who, who made fun of you. Now, now that you have achieved success, do you ever want to go back and be like, you were wrong? 
Nah. Um, huh? uh, I think it's very hard to make me jealous and very hard for me to make uh, uh, grudges because it's always on to the next one and the next goal, next thing and next forth. You know, I've seen people around and say, hey, what's up? Because, you know, I, I forget. Because if your goals are big enough, you won't be worrying about the past. <laughs> mm, that's true. Always looking forward. I like that. Uh, it's very interesting. I feel like I learned a lot in the past 20 minutes. It's fantastic. I love your energy, man. It's great. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious to know, you said, you know, you, you have extensive experience in China. China's a very different place to the UK. Ooh. Do you speak Chinese? Yeah. Do you learn Chinese? No. Uh, no. Uh, there's, a, there's a kind of a distinct brain a defunct when it comes to languages. I'm just <laughs> very bad at languages. And I know my weakness. Again, something I tell people, know your weaknesses, know your strengths. Mm-hmm. And you can really genetically capitalize on some of your strengths. Mm-hmm. Genetically, you know, nature is, is a powerful beast. You can't do much on certain things. So languages and learning languages has not been my forte. Mm-hmm. So I kind of learned, tried to learn Chinese, gave up. And I think the last, the latter six to eight months, I was traveling a lot for the MA deals. Right. But I was never in China. So yeah, to answer the question, no, I didn't learn Chinese, but China was a privilege. It was a beast. And I learned so much uh, things, made so much friends. And it was, a, it was, it, it set me up for life. Tell me about that experience. What was it like, um, obviously adjusting there, the business climate there and the culture. Tell me about the, opportunities and how that changed your life so as i told you i made 272 phone calls and i said hey yeah one guy in china picked up and i said hey my parents can migrate to two countries first migration was kuwait where they was born went back to sri lanka then came to the uk right mm-hmm. i can go where my talents and opportunities are needed if you have a crazy idea and if you know it's going to make money or going to impact the world someone in the world has the same idea or has the same amount of money to help you, but you need to go and find that person or you need mm. to advertise enough for that person to find you, right? So if that's the case, you can't do everything like in one place sitting there in London or in the UK or the US or San Francisco. You've got to go out there. So I knew that China was up and coming. They needed ideas. They needed R&D. They needed patents. So I just went out there. Mm. And that in terms of culture, it was different. Um, so fast forward, when I went to business development, I realized that Ethics are totally different, not in a bad way. It's culturally different as well, right? As you come from an Asian background or a Caribbean background or, you know, American background or whatnot, African, a Middle Eastern background, cultures differ. How you do business differs, right? Um, so you learn that culture, you learn hard negotiation, you learn how to drink, you, you learn how to eat certain ways and you just get the deal done um, and you learn how to serve people. Um, uh, and that's very important as well. So I understand you really hit it with e-commerce. You, I think you mentioned when you were in China, you started selling toys. Tell me about the transition. E- why e-commerce? What happened during that time? And tell me about selling toys. That that's you 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 touched on that for one sentence, but I feel like there's so much in there. Yes, yeah, it's a good quick question. So I was doing well, and then in in the vice president of business development, and the pandemic hit. And when the pandemic hit, kind of China was really hard in terms of lockdown and so forth. Um, so I was kind of tell I think someone facilitate me, and I'm like, get out of here! Like I, I was, I, I was using water bottles to do um, curls, and yeah. using in China, it's great. These apartments have very sturdy 
uh, closed hanging racks, right? So they're not flimsy nets. So you can actually, I was doing pull-ups on those things, right? And I was, that's how I worked out. And then after a couple of days, they let you out. So they say all foreigners go to one hotel. I turn up to the hotel in Suzhou. I'm the only foreigner left. My yeah. parents are saying, hey, we're hearing the news. You've got to get out, la, la, la. I'm like, okay, whatever, right? Because I've got a cushy job. I was loving what I was doing. Okay. I was eating this place all the time, and there were no foreigners. While left, I noticed all these big, fat Asian men with cigars and their laptops, and they're all laughing away. My name is Freddie. I'm very social. Every table, I went and talked to everyone every day. I'm like, what do you guys do? Eventually, they said e-commerce. I'm like, well, I do corporate business development. Let me see your numbers. Charlie, the numbers were staggering, 400,000 a day, 200% ROI. I was what? like, I'm in the wrong business here. I'm like, what am I doing? And by that time, I realized how power and money works. You know, I flushed the kind of let's help the world kind of thing because I discovered free drugs for mankind. You know, I was published. I was doing science. I was doing authorship. I'm like, this is enough now. But how do I really make money and influence and grow maybe do to charity work in the future when I retire? And that money is very important. So I said, this is a very good way to have cash flow and have a tool for e-commerce. So I started talking to these guys. I said, how can I help you? They're like, we don't need your help. Go away. So I kind of break them down, break them down. I tell young people, you've got to break people down when you make new networks, right? And every time you go into a new venture, you've got to make a new network. If you don't want to do it, you have to do it because no one's going to trust you and you've got to build that confidence in people. I said, hey, let me help you with the English. So I was there at night, late night emailing Amazon English things. <laughs> I was doing corporate vice president uh, business development, but I was emailing them, helping these manufacturers, saying, hey, there's customer support, la, la, la. And finally, one guy said, hey, we have these toys. We can't sell it to the UK. We don't sell. We only sell to the US, US market. You want to sell in the UK? Three days, bing bong, I started selling toys to the UK. I had no idea what I was doing, uh, but I just started, started doing it. Fantastic. This circles back to the the idea of execution and implementation as well. I have a lot of respect for, because um, I'm currently based in the UK, I have a lot of respect for uh, foreigners who are willing to go to China and actually experience sort of potential that the market and the economy there has to offer. So um gives me a lot of energy to, to speak to people like you who have such fresh perspectives and experience. Now, I appreciate yeah, it. It's, about... it's, it... Sorry, continue. Yeah. It's not even China. I mean, there's markets in Africa, yeah, there's markets absolutely. in the Middle East, South America, uh, Indonesia, even Australia is huge in e-commerce. It's just the world's huge, but people just are very solidified in corporate and, you know, um, yes. kind of a ladder. That's very important to kind of break out of. Absolutely. The world is huge and filled with opportunities. Um, the, the, the truth is, you know, speaking to you has been, I think, I think a bit of a blessing. Uh, I'll give you a bit of context. I go, go, went after I dropped out of law, I was running a podcast, a couple social media pages that I run, and I, I was very lost. And I, I, that, this was a couple, this was a couple months ago only, actually. And I, I needed to find new direction in life. And I needed to find new motivation in life. My podcast was a source of that. But I, joining a startup was another source of that. But speaking to people like you who have this, this, I suppose, I don't know what the word is, like unrelenting, I think, energy and motivation to keep pushing upwards reminds me that, hey, you know, maybe I'm a representative of many people in society listening to this right now. Um, there are opportunities out there to pursue and you have to take action. Uh, you have to execute and you have to go explore. Now, 
Uh, appreciate we only have about six, seven minutes left on this recording. I have one last question for you, Pradeep. If you had one piece of advice for somebody who is thinking about getting into e-commerce, maybe they work a nine to five, they think about getting into e-commerce, they maybe want to start a business or a side hustle, what would that one tip be? Yeah, pull the trigger. Um, mm. Pull the trigger and do it. It sounds so simple, but pull the trigger and do it. Uh, what you need to do is understand, first of all, how much you want to invest and work backwards. If you have 10,000 or 15,000 or 5,000, work backwards and say, this is how much I want to invest. Who do I go to, right? Which networks do I go to to learn something and how to invest this? Find the right mentors, find the right network. Don't spend all your money on coaching and so forth. Go to events. You know, when I first came to London, I had no business network. I went to Eventbrite. I was an Oxford Harvard graduate, no business network. I went to every single networking event, low or high, didn't care where I was from, my background. I just shook hands because that's how I've done it in every industry. So go to networking events, say this is the investment, work backwards if it's side us or so forth and execute. And mm. once you execute once, you learn it. And then you, even if it's not working, you learn how to go again in different um, uh, kind of setting. Mm, understood. That's been very eye-opening. When you make it onto Forbes, very soon, I'm certain, don't forget me. Uh, for no, I, I won't forget anyone. I'm always here for anyone. <laughs> I'm here to help and serve. Maybe we can do another podcast too next year or in six months. So we'll see. Yep, that sounds great. Let's do that. Pradeep, thank you very much for being here. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so much.